Welcome to the Aligned Musician Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Hankins, and I'm a violist as well as a yoga and breathwork facilitator. I created this podcast to empower musicians like you to find your own path towards healing and normalize conversations around musicians' wellness. I'm so grateful for your support and thank you for joining me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Aligned Musician Podcast. We are over halfway through the second season, and um, I just wanted to share with you that I will be ending the season around end of August, maybe mid-September, and then my plan is to start season three sometime in February or March. I actually started this podcast now a year and a half ago um, in March or sorry, February 2020. And um, so grateful for all of your support with this podcast. My intention has always been to make this an advertisement-free podcast and to just continue sharing stories about musicians wellness resources and normalize these conversations because I feel that that's so important if you'd like to get involved with the podcast be on an episode feel free to dm me on my instagram which is at the aligned musician you can also reach out to me through my website kimberlyhankins.com or send me an email at the aligned musician at gmail.com If this podcast has been helpful for you in some way, please consider sharing this episode or giving this podcast a positive review on any of the podcast platforms. You can also send me a tip on my Ko-Fi platform, which is ko-fi.com backslash the aligned musician. I really believe in being a musician's wellness advocate, and I do so much. I'm the violist of Tetris String Quartet. I have my own viola and violin studio. I'm a breathwork and yoga facilitator. I'm a social media manager. I'm an arranger looking to expand the viola repertoire. I also am the creator, host, and editor for this podcast. And so my reason for doing this podcast is not because I have a lot of extra free time. It really is a labor of love. And each episode I create with the intention that it helps at least one person out there realize that they're not alone and that there are others going through very similar things or others who have gone through similar things and have tangible solutions that can help. I believe it's important that each one of us finds our own pathway towards healing, and that may look very different from person to person. Throughout the remainder of the season of the Line Musician podcast, my goal is to continue having unique voices be uplifted on this platform, people from scientific or spiritual backgrounds, because at the end of the day, it's up to you to decide so that you can gain more understanding about what healing modalities are out there and explore what works best for you. So in this episode, I'm about to share with you, this is a live recording of the Aligned Musician podcast on Instagram Live. And this was such a wonderful conversation. 
after this episode, I actually stayed on Zoom with Nicole for quite some time talking about some things in my own wellness journey that I'm still working on physically. She is such a wealth of knowledge and she has so many helpful tips sprinkled throughout this episode. Hope you enjoy. Nicole Frulay Walker, she's a movement and breath specialist. She's a wellness consultant for the National Children's Orchestra of Great Britain, and she works with Yorkshire young musicians. And she's doing really amazing stuff here in the musicians wellness community. And I'm just so happy for you to join us today, Nicole. Thanks for being here. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm not a musician myself. Uh, I've grown up sort of with my daughter playing and uh, watching her and watching all the other young musicians alongside her. And um, that's really how it all got started. And, you know, my journey is really about human movement and it doesn't matter what activity you're doing, but um, I have a real passion for working with musicians because uh, I admire you know, the, the dedication, the time that you put in. And um, I never want anybody to feel like they're in a situation where they have to stop playing because they've got an injury. Um, and it's all about education, awareness, understanding your own body better so that you can prevent these things from happening. Oh, that's amazing. And your daughter is also a violist, right? She is. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days, we'll get the two of you together. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, so how did you find yourself becoming a wellness consultant? Uh, it was it was really through her. Um, you know, I was having to be around all the time because she was quite young and I couldn't just leave her at things. So because I was on site, you get talking to people and, and uh, there were a few occasions where I really needed to step in and help out when there was no one else there. And you'd kind of create a role for yourself, really. And um, I enjoyed it so much. I just, you know, took it a little further, um, you know, got deeper with my work and working with musicians and understanding all the different. Um, obviously, I see a lot of viola playing and piano playing. But um, as for the rest of the instruments, it's taken a bit more time to sort of observe and watch and see how I can help them better. Interesting. So was there a lot of kind of just repetitive stress injury or was there any kind of patterns that you were seeing that maybe were different from your work with the general population? Not really. Um, you know, I think the more I looked into it, you know, a lot of the literature around injuries in musicians is quite dated. You know, you were talking going 60s and 70s literature and, and nothing's really ventured too far away from that. There doesn't seem to be a lot of modern kind of research going into it and um, one of the things that I, I really feel passionate about is looking at the body as a whole and you know when you start calling something a repetitive strain injury you're looking at a particular tendon or maybe several tendons that might be irritated or a particular muscle group or joint and I don't think that's a really good way forward for anybody to explore their body and, and actually be well you need to look at the whole thing and look at the previous injury history look at your emotional state how you're feeling at the time because I'm sure, you know, you can tell me that it does, it makes an enormous difference when you're playing, you know, if you're feeling tense compared to feeling relaxed and the sound is just different. So, um, you know, I'd love to sort of give that to people, give them that knowledge so that they can use that to improve their playing and, you know, stop injury. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people when they get injured or they experience pain in a specific part of their body, they're like, okay, I need to get, I need this part fixed, right? Mm. So how, 
how do we start to kind of take a step back from that and maybe have a more holistic perspective over the whole body while also honoring ourselves? I think really for me, it's about looking from the ground up. And so, um, you know, your floor is, is your base and your feet are on the floor. And so it's about how you make that connection and how everything stacks up on top of it. And so it's not always about sort of what you're doing whilst you're playing. It's about everything else we do outside of that. And you know, if you change your weight distribution and you go too far forward into the balls of your feet and you're standing there all the time, you're really loading the front of the body and it's under tension all the time. Um, the back of the body is trying to counterbalance that. And so, you know, if you're going into it already leaning forward, then chances are you're playing in that position as well. And then that changes how you play. And so it, that, you know, in itself affects how you breathe. It affects your neck position. All kinds of things come from just having your feet in a much better place. Um, when you start looking at, you know, seated work, if somebody's, um, you know, in a quartet or in an orchestra, um, you know, the minute you change your feet, if they're not directly underneath your knees, you you put your pelvis in a different you know, position. And then, of course, that changes your back. And so suddenly, you know, you can do a lot for yourself to just look at your feet and make sure that they're in the best place. Oh, wow. Yeah, I really resonate with that. Um, I mean, when I so I was dealing with a repetitive stress injury uh, when I was an undergrad and I was taking auditions for grad school and I was doing competitions and, um, and basically I remember one day I was practicing and I just kind of always would play through the pain and just kind of ignore those signals that my body was giving me. And I physically wasn't able to hold my instrument up anymore. <laughs> and that's when I finally realized, oh, my shoulder really hurts. And, um, and I wasn't able to practice again for, for a while. And what really helped me actually was finding yoga. And that's one of the reasons why I, I teach yoga and I'm so passionate about yoga because it was a part of that healing mm. journey. And I think something really interesting about yoga and Pilates and martial arts and all of these kind of somatic practices or have somatic aspects to them is that, uh, is that we really learn how to like use the body in a more efficient way. And it sounds like that's exactly yeah. what you're speaking on. Yeah. And it's an awareness thing. You know, I think uh, it's really easy to shut down and, and not think about certain parts of the body until you have pain there. And um, it's about being aware of your whole self and, and really um, doing the best you can to sort of ground yourself because when we're in our heads and we're buzzing and we've got so much going on and, you know, it, the first thing you need to do is really get down into your feet, ground yourself. And then the noise in your head sort of quiets down and then the rest of you settles and the tension goes. And so it's about trying to pick up on those really subtle things and use them to your advantage rather than wait for something to happen and then try to, to fix it. You know, I'm a big believer in um, active well-being. You know, we've really got to get out there and, and do what we can for ourselves. And, you know, particularly if you're, for, if you're a musician, you need to be well to play you need to earn money by playing and you need to have the joy of playing and it's not joyful when you're in pain <laughs> oh yeah absolutely mm -hmm. uh, so you spoke on being aware of your posture and just kind of aware of your center of gravity um, and aware of how you're moving your body but when you work with people as a as a movement therapist 
um, or specialist, how do you, you kind of address these issues with musicians? Really simple movement exercises. I mean, most of the time it takes between two to three minutes to actually do the exercises. And I just recommend that somebody to do them several times through the course of a day. Um, it's all about joining up your brain and your body and putting those patterns back in because sometimes we don't realize we're missing movements. If something, say, for example, you had an old injury that was not playing related, but as a result of that injury, you changed how you were carrying yourself and moving, your body would normalize that and you would start to feel like that was your center, basically. And because you, you're not aware that you've changed from center, it's very hard to find it again. And so it's all about having somebody externally help you get there and then most of the time you know you can take over from there and, and look after yourself better because you you gain that awareness of where center is and what it feels like mm, I love that that you're working with people to help them develop their own agency with this too and not just be dependent upon someone external forever but just kind of provide the tools and the the feedback to get them in the right direction yeah, I think from an emotional sort of and mental well-being point of view, there's there's nothing gratifying about having to go see somebody every month for the rest of your life. You know, it's all about education, awareness um, and having the right tools. And once somebody's in that position, then there's so much they can do to help themselves. And from my point of view, you know, I, I it may not be financially viable sometimes, but I, I don't want to be seeing people for the rest of their life. I want to just be that springboard where somebody can pop in whenever they need something and have the tools to, to take it over and actually do something themselves because it's just so much more empowering. Oh, absolutely. And um, I know you work a lot with younger musicians and I know something that um, I've been asked before and something that I've been thinking about a lot is like working with young musicians and getting them on the right path and getting them started and already starting to have them think about these self-awareness tools um, can be so, so helpful, but also so challenging sometimes. Mm. Yeah, and I think it comes down to the the teacher. Um, you know, when my daughter started playing, she started at school. And so she had a teacher that was available to her at school. Um, we very quickly sort of moved away from that simply because she was so passionate about it. She didn't like the idea of having breaks when it's school holidays and having these long stretches of working on the same piece. She wanted to be doing more and more all the time. And we moved away. And actually, it was the best thing we ever did because the person she went to um, was always very mindful about posture and positioning and getting things right and putting the good habits in place so that they wouldn't fail her later in life. And so we're, you know, for me, I'm really grateful because I think that's such an amazing start. And, and not everybody has that. Not everybody's teacher is into, you know, correcting posture and giving people those tools. And it's so important, you know, as any musician who wants to go into teaching, you know, it's, I think it has to be part of your, your job, really. Oh, absolutely. And um, with working with younger ones, is there any advice you have or is there any, are there any patterns that you notice um, younger musicians dealing with? Uh, I suppose when you're getting into early teens, it's a lot of, you know, sort of awkwardness. Um, you know, they're growing a lot very quickly and, and their posture can change really dramatically during those times. And it's about 
giving them the best possible base and sort of making it fun really for them. So a lot of what I do is very active. When I work with younger musicians, we do movement classes. I don't harp on. I don't really talk about posture in that way because I think it's it kind of defines it as being something that's set and that all of us need to attain a certain level of the way we stand and the way we sit and everything else. And I think, you know, there's a, a certain amount of relativity to do with that. You know, we all have our um, space that we can function well in and it's going to be slightly different for each of us so it's about seeing that in each individual person and and particularly with different instruments you know the, the positioning you need to be in is so entirely different from one part of the orchestra to the next awesome um, so for those who play instruments that are maybe more asymmetrical than others like viola or <laughs> Um, I don't know, bass trombone comes to mind. There's some instruments that just require very different movements from the left and right sides of the body. Um, do you have any advice for musicians that play one of those instruments and maybe struggle with tension or pain? Uh, I'm a big believer in working on the rib cage and using breath work for that and using sort of spinal movements that, that you know, um, create that awareness and also um, encourage natural movement because we all have, and particularly in spines, what you end up with a lot of the time is is maybe the um, neck is moving too much or the lower back's moving too much and the mid back is then going to lock down as a result of it because every segment of our spine needs to have a degree of movement to it and if something's moving too much then somewhere else is going to lock down as a result of it and so quite often the mid back is an area where a lot of people struggle around the shoulder blade area and so when you're creating that tension and the shoulder blades are starting to rise up, the rib cage kind of drops down. But, you know, even just sitting here now, anybody who's watching, if you just put your fingertips on your breastbone and you lift your breastbone by an inch, it changes the whole aspect of your rib cage and your shoulder blades have a chance to relax down and it lengthens your neck and it brings you back over yourself. And so instead of thinking about, you know, tucking your chin in and lengthening your neck and dropping your shoulders down and opening your chest, all you really need to do is just lift the breastbone up and that changes everything entirely. And so I always encourage people just a little bit through the day, if you know that you're more prone on being a dropped rib cage with a forward head, is to sort of just lift that rib cage up a little by an inch even, and then it becomes a new position. It's all about creating that new position because if you don't know what it feels like, you can't find it. I love that so much. I had never heard that cue before. And just trying that, I feel, I can definitely feel my shoulders kind of come back and together a little bit and down. And it's just and, so much less effort. <laughs> yeah, that's so useful. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I like keeping it really simple. I don't believe in complicated instructions. It's keep it as simple as possible and then people will follow it. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think as um as someone who's like I've I've done a lot of trainings and movement and and it's like a lot of times you just learn, like, especially with yoga asana, you just learn the cues, you know, you, you have flashcards and you're like, okay, downward facing dog, here are the cues I need to memorize, you know, for each pose. And you start thinking about the body in this really segmented way. And I think when you learn about functional anatomy, it can be so easy to kind of like go deeper in that direction, compartmentalizing each individual muscle and nerve. 
And I love how you kind of think of the body as this one, one moving entity, because it really is so true with like the fascia, the connective tissue, with movement patterns. It's really all so connected. Yeah. I mean, even if you take the most simple thing we do and, you know, if you get up in the morning and you make yourself a cup of tea or a coffee, you know, the coordination that's involved in doing that, but we don't, you know, that part of us switches off. We don't have to think about doing that because it's such a repetitive activity. Um, our brain feels that, you know, we're, we're wired in for that and we understand that. And so we don't really have to consciously think of it um you know and there are moments where that happens in music because you know a piece so well or you you practice so often but there's always elements that you're sort of breaking down and you're trying to create new neural pathways because you're trying to use different techniques or alter how you're playing and so it's um you know all about doing that in the best possible way so that you get the best out of it and that your body's getting the best out of it because I think, and particularly maybe for young musicians, maybe you'll say differently for older ones, maybe it still happens when they're getting older, but, um, you know, there, there can be the too much practice, you know, and it's all about sort of having the right amount so that your body's not exhausting itself and then you're falling out of position because you're tired. And it's, uh, I think you can apply that same principle to a lot of places, you know, a lot of different workplaces that you need breaks you need to take time away and you need to sort of reset your posture and so using just little things like lifting up through the breastbone and just doing that a few times and going for a walk outside and coming back you'd find even just that that space and that being in nature changes everything for you when you step back in the room oh absolutely and I mean um, I don't know if your daughter has experienced this, but I've definitely been at music festivals where it's been just a lot of practicing, a lot of rehearsing, and those moments of getting to just take a walk outside and reset and be out in nature are just so, they're so crucial to the rest of that day going well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm all about trying to keep things very subtle and little things that you can incorporate. You know, if somebody was watching you and you were outside having a walk, you would still be able to integrate what I do with you um, whilst you were doing that. So it's not as though you need a separate space and a mat and you need to go and find some space to do it in. It's um, or if you're walking around on the street with people watching you, you might be slightly <laughs> self-conscious about it. It's about trying to find those really subtle changes. And, and even, you know, I always say less is more the smallest change you can make and can knock on and create the most wonderful cascade in the body. I really love that. And there's something about your approach that also reminds me slightly of like Alexander technique or other somatic practices where you're really just like, it's all about the self-study and the self-awareness that you're building in your everyday life, not just with your instrument. Um, and so are there any modalities that you've been influenced by or did you just kind of come up with your method on your own what oh is, god yeah uh, there's <laughs> there's been a lot really I mean I think probably the most significant one for me was um, anatomy in motion with Gary Ward um, that kind of really flipped a lot for me and changed the way I looked at everything forever um, but since I did that course and did that training, I find that I've integrated a lot of my previous work and some of my subsequent work, and it's all kind of blended in to create something that, that I use a lot. Um, you know, I've, I've got a big spiritual base as well, and I think that there's a lot we can do um, working on the four systems in the body, so the, the physical, the emotional, 
the intellectual and the spiritual, and they all intertwine with one another. And I think just working on something from just purely a physical point of view isn't always the most complete way of doing it. And we need to embrace those other sides because we all have them to a degree. Yeah, I I really love that. And um, I mean, I can't remember who told me this, but um, there's a saying that like all tension in the body originates in the mind. And I think, you know, that's so true. <laughs> that's mm. so absolutely true. That's the other thing, actually, I'd, I'd started using with a lot of musicians is um, trying to release tension in the face, because if you have a tense face, you have tension elsewhere in your body. And it's one of the quickest ways to tap into relaxation is by relaxing your face. Oh, is there, <laughs> is there any is are there any exercises for that that you could guide? Well, me just, I know sometimes can... I hold tension in my jaw and my neck and. Um, well, if you're into yoga, I think it's the, is it the lion, Nicole, is one of the things you can do where you open your mouth really wide and stick your tongue out. So I won't subject anybody to that one and looking at me doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're not into that side of it at all, the other thing I always say is just do a pretend yawn and, and really sort of stretch your body and, and do the yawn, um, because that gives you the same sort of opening wide at the mouth and relaxes your jaw muscles. And as soon as they've relaxed, the, the rest of your body finds ease. And so it's all about tapping into the things that, <laughs> that you can that make it as easy as possible for you. Because we all have the time excuse, don't we? We always say we haven't got time to do this. And it's about finding things that make it as easy as possible for you to, to be well. Wow. Yeah, yawning, yawning is such a useful tool. I love that. And um, I feel like even just bringing that awareness to your breath at any time or um, if that feels safe for you to do. I know some populations that's not um, not as accessible, but just finding a, a point of focus or something mm -hmm. within the body to focus on can be so helpful for, for feeling less tension in the body. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in tapping into the senses is a big one as well for, for a lot of people. And, um, you know, they use that quite a lot. If you are prone to say panic attacks or extreme anxiety, it's all about sort of tapping into the five senses and saying, you know, what do I see around me? What colors are they? you know, what do I hear? What do I smell? And what can I taste? You know, all of those things. And so if you're asking yourself that your brain is working on all of those things and your body sort of has a chance just to, you know, have that collective sigh and, and relax. Yeah. I love, I love that too. Tapping mm. into the senses. I always find that a lot more um, useful for me. I don't know. I think I'm a very busy mind. And so um, I have to have something that makes me focus and and so I find those type of meditations really useful yeah me too I find that more often than not when I feel tense my thoughts are racing I'm not able to like calm down my thoughts or focus on one thing I might be really distracted and so it's interesting that you say that that like we can actually use our sense of focus as a tool for calming the tension that we may feel physically as well. 
And it comes back to the grounding as well. I remember years ago when I was in massage therapy school, one of the teachers I had practiced Qigong. And so she used to take us through Qigong exercises for grounding. And the minute you sort of drop into your feet, you just have this incredible calm that goes through the rest of the body. Because I think when we're really busy in our heads, we feel like we're just kind of skipping along on the floor and we're not really making contact. And as soon as you've got that good contact, you can come out of your head and down into your feet and, and just relax. Oh, absolutely. And I know, like, if I'm really focused on a musical passage, and I think non-musicians can relate to this too, like if you're, if you're focused on something you're reading, or something you're typing, or whatever it is, if you're focused on that thing for enough time with enough energy, you can become so ungrounded. Mm. Like you're so, your focus is so out of your body that the simple act of like connecting to the earth feeling your feet on the floor tapping into your senses um, giving yourself a point of focus maybe that's your breath or maybe that's something external and just kind of feeling back into your body can be such a useful tool well and just even from an energetic point of view you know we're all um, gathering energy from the earth when we're in contact with it and when you're making contact with the floor if you've got a foot that's sort of spread out and making really good contact you've got more contact space with the ground and you've got a more stable base to stand on but as soon as you get tension and the foot sort of draws up and becomes narrow you end up it's like standing on an, an ice skating blade you know you're suddenly you're wobbling around and you haven't got good balance and of course that translates into tension when you go upward and so Anytime you're working on upper body, you've always got to go back down to the ground, I think, and really refocus there because it will just happen without you trying to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, there's a way that we can feel grounded, too, when we're seated um, and not just standing. And I know I've really struggled to feel grounded standing. Um, I mean, I've spoken about it before, but I have a foot deformity and I'm also hypermobile. And so feeling grounded in my feet, like even in yoga has been such a huge challenge for me because the way that my feet are on the floor, I don't feel grounded. I have to mm. really work to feel that feeling. Um, and so I love how you said that, like we're taking energy from the earth. And um, I, I, I think about this a lot in yoga um, about how it's like, the prana, the energy, when you were standing, it's kind of like closing a circuit of energy and how there's that, um, that sense of connectedness. And if you even just imagine that energy moving from the ground up into our bodies, like a lot of times when I perform, I'm actually thinking about using that energy or like pulling that energy up from the earth that I can then bring out through my instrument. Mm, yeah, one of the things that I really like, um, I mean, I teach Pilates and uh, the person I trained with years ago came from a dance perspective and she taught us through um, Laban's methods and they talk a lot about the centre of gravity and the centre of levity and so you're from the waist down is your centre of gravity where you feel really rooted but you're upward from the waist up is your centre of expression and so that's where I mean, I use my hands a lot, so I'm obviously really good at that. But um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, having that as a musician, I think, is, is really key, is feeling the groundedness, but having that expression of movement is so important. 
Yeah. And do you have any advice for people that may have to sit long hours for long periods of time, like an orchestra or quartet, or maybe they, their instrument, you just have to be seated to play? I think it's a case of really um, finding, finding your comfort zone. And I think uh, uh, what I observe when I'm watching orchestra players is quite often you see um, the extremes. So somebody who's trying very hard to be upright is it's quite draining and quite hard on your body. And so you'll find that you'll be tensing a lot and you're losing a lot of energy doing that. Um, and the other option and, and happens more so probably in children than adults, but the sort of other way around, which is the slumping back into the chair, um, you know, going the opposite way, you sort of lose all that breath and that sound that you could be making. So it's um, really important just to find ease in the position that you're in. So for me, it's having the feet directly underneath the knees. And if you think about instead of grounding with your feet, you're grounding with your sit bones and making sure that you feel you've got equal weight on both sides because the tendency for a lot of us is to have more weight through one side because we lean that way being asymmetrical with an instrument and just bringing yourself back over to sit your sitting bones even subtly makes such a difference to your posture. This is something that I just came to mind as a violist and violinist myself um but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the standing posture of one foot out or mm. turns out with the toes in order to kind of counterbalance versus feeling both of the feet under you with maybe the toes pointed in the same direction. Do you have any thoughts on that or which way might be better for string players? Um, yeah, I always think probably just a slightly wider stance and um, try not to turn out. But obviously if that feels natural, that may be natural for that person. And I think that's something you wanna work on outside of it. I think when you're playing, you've got to play to your strength and to where you feel comfortable and that may not be the most opportune position but if you're aware of something and you're aware that you you might have problems that's something that you need to maybe work on outside of it and then you'll get the crossover into playing um, I think when things feel too enforced you know and you're already trying to do lots of different things at once when you're playing and reading music and communicating with everyone else around you if you're in um, you know, a string group or you're in an orchestra, you, know, you need to have that awareness of everyone else uh, as well. And so it becomes easy to sometimes to switch off about your own body. And so the more natural you can make it rather than force, the easier it is to, to keep up. Absolutely. Yeah, I always just found that interesting as a solution to, to the asymmetry of having an instrument on one side is to mm -hmm. add more asymmetry in the opposite direction on the lower half of the body. And I, yeah, I kind of feel the same about it. It's like, it's interesting because if your center of gravity is off, of course that's going to affect things, but I'm not, I, I've never really been a hundred percent sure, you know, if yeah, it's, it, out on one side is really going to fix that asymmetry or correct that center of balance it just creates something different really I mean I think for me if you get somebody back into a, a you know side by side hip distance apart you know everything should be relatively stacked up and neutral there if you start to find that there are asymmetries and it's more on a rotational plane um, then you can do things in place of that so say you know if, if I was turning my rib cage to the left and my hips were turning slightly to the right so I was getting that cross 
they were sort of going opposite to one another. And if you came back into that neutral position and that was present there, you could see that maybe your body's taking that on as a, as a more permanent pattern. And so you need to try and do something to counteract that. So then I would do things that would take the rib cage to the right and the hips to the left so that you could put it back into center again. And so when they came back to play, you could still go into that position where things are cross purpose with one another, but it just means that you're not always going in that direction. You've got something to counterbalance it so that you find the center and find kind of a more neutral ground. Mm. I love that. And, and also I love how you mentioned the rib cage and I think even if you're not a wind player, the breath is such a useful tool for kind of feeling that flexibility in the spine and also just drawing that awareness into your current posture. Hmm. You know, and you just get a lot of, um, you, you can use breath to help relax you if you're using a, say, a, a longer out breath that um, will kick into your system in terms of reducing the tension that you're feeling. Um, it obviously regulates the amount of oxygen coming into the body. And so when you when you're starting to sort of get your balances right between your oxygen and carbon dioxide, you're actually using it more efficiently. So you're getting something that's working in your favor rather than against you, because um, if you're offset in your oxygen and carbon dioxide. Um, because your breathing is out if you're breathing too shallow or you're over breathing and um, you know these are things that are common in lots of people not just musicians but um, you know your body's going to fatigue because you're not binding the oxygen into the red blood cells and so it's just releasing from the body so it's of no use to you and so you're not actually getting the benefit of that breath if you're not breathing well. Mm. Yeah and I think too with a lot of us on technology more um, not just musicians, but all of us are kind of a little more this way from all of the hours on Zoom and technology. Um, and so, yeah, even just bringing awareness to the breath, to the upper reaches of the lungs and also the lower reaches of the lungs and, and adding in that cue um, that you mentioned of feeling the, the breastbone or the sternum slightly lift like I can already feel just like so much more open in my upper body and I haven't even really mm. done anything except for shift that awareness yeah you know you think that just by lifting the breastbone up you know how much openness you create in the diaphragm and so it, it in, improves your potential for efficiency in your breathing and so all you're doing is leveraging your position to make it the most you know opportune place so that you can gather so much benefit from it so much positive benefit so for musicians that are maybe trying to avoid injury like they they feel great there's nothing wrong going on there's no tension or pain maybe um is there anything that you would suggest for to just like help with the longevity of playing yeah I think it's um it, it's really about having that awareness in your body and catching things before they become a problem. And so I have, um, and this is something, you know, I learned through anatomy and motion work that I was doing, but uh, a system of checking through the whole body joint by joint, which doesn't take a lot of time once you're sort of skilled in doing it, but it just allows you that chance to sort of say, there's something going on here. Let's get on this before it actually becomes a problem. And so it makes you aware. And also, you know, you can start drawing connections between things because there's there's so much of that in the body. You know, the skull and the pelvis move 
um, together in the way that they operate. And so if potentially, you know, if you have something happening in your neck, but you also have restrictions in your pelvis and hips, then it might be that if you're not working on the pelvis and hips and the neck isn't disappearing, then, you know, you've, you've now got to address that as well. Um, because we do get quite focused where our pain is. And if we've got pain in the neck or stiffness there, it's easy to think about stretching those places out. But um, if you're not addressing the corresponding places in the body, then you start to run into problems because it's just something that goes away and comes back. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're taking, um, so you said just focusing on every joint in the body. So when we're trying to, map that out just to make sure I understand and listeners have like a, a tool they can use as a meditation. Um, we're just thinking about literally every joint in the body, maybe like a body scan meditation. Yeah, something like that you could use. Uh, you know, I think it's about looking at the body and all the planes of movement that it has available. So if you're looking at the neck, you know, if you're going into your flexion and extension, that's our sagittal plane, side to side as your frontal plane and then you've got your rotation and so when you start sort of you know for me it's all about targeting exactly where have you got the discomfort and when is it happening because say for example you know if your head tilts to one side because that's where your chin rest is be that way I guess for you guys um uh, you know you're shortening and tightening here if you're going through the neck exercises and as you go side to side and you feel that you're getting some tightness on that side and there's discomfort on that side you're holding that in a shortened position. So that means that, you know, it wants to be open. So I always work with open and closed. Um, if, for example, you know, your neck was used to being in this position, but the discomfort came from this side, you wouldn't want to stretch this necessarily because it's already in a more open position. It's all about activating it to bring it more neutral again. And so um, I think it's just trying to be super specific about it. You know, we all kind of Google exercises and you look at something or you ask a friend or somebody tells you, oh, do this. It really worked for me. But the bottom line is, is that you need to know where the pain is, where the discomfort is, what point in the movement does it actually happen? And then you can kind of pinpoint, does it need lengthening or does it need shortening? And quite often, you know, it's, I always say this, sorry, I've just got my elastic here. So if you've got an elastic and you pull on it and you pull end to end, there's tension there. And so it could feel tight in your body, but if you were to stretch that further, it's going to snap. And so it's not that our muscles are going to do the same thing, but, you know, it's we make the mistake of stretching something without knowing whether it's lengthened or shortened. And it's about knowing that open and closed in the body. And so that's the big thing I kind of work with with people is can you find that awareness in yourself? Do you know what open feels like and what closed feels like? And when you've got that, you can pretty much help yourself. Well, that's amazing. So do you work with musicians or other clients online? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of my work as with everybody's uh, through this pandemic has gone online. And um, quite interestingly, I found, uh, you know, initially, I thought I need to be in the room with people because I'd, you know, grown up doing manual therapy, and all my training had been hands on with people. And with movement, it's a totally different thing, you know, and actually having a screen where you can look at somebody in a, in a square or in a rectangle, I actually see things really quickly that way, because you've got something to measure it against. And uh, I find actually a lot of the assessments and work that I've been doing has been really powerful online. And it just um, amazing, and, you know, and it just opens things up to anybody to use anywhere. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, I hadn't even th thought about how 
these squares actually provide this grid. <laughs> yeah, like a frame, you know, and I think sometimes as well, it's when you've got somebody in a room, there's a different energy involved in it. And it allows you to sort of separate yourself slightly and, and work in a different way. And so um, I'd say it probably took me a few months to uh, align myself with that idea. But once I, once it was there, it's amazing. And, you know, I'm using it so much now. That's so cool. So how can musicians find you that want to work with you? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm on Instagram, of course, which you'll all see from here. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I've got a website, which is the innate life force method dot info. Um, but but yeah, email me catch up with me on social media, um, have a chat. You know, I generally try to do sessions where I chat to somebody online initially and we can just talk about what's happening for them and at least make a start on, on feeling like there's something positive that can come from us working together. Mm. And is there anything else that you'd like to share today? Uh, right. Well, I don't know about everybody else around the world and where everybody else might be watching from, but I certainly know from the UK perspective that a lot of musicians here have not been able to perform for a very long time. Um, of course, you've all been probably practicing and, you know, that element of being on stage again um, is, is a big one, you know, and I think a lot of people will feel nervous. So, you know, look after yourselves. Um, check in with your body make sure that you're feeling okay or as okay as you possibly can before you go out for that performance because if you have that additional tension um you know potentially you're putting strain somewhere and creating an injury that that you don't need at this stage we all want to hear you play oh, that's such a great point and yeah i you know i live in arizona where things have been reopened for a long time and for a lot of a lot of COVID people, um, things were kind of business as usual here. Uh, and so, you know, it's been really challenging, honestly. I mean, as a yoga teacher and as a as a musician to have last year when things were closing down, all of my musician concerts were canceled, all my gigs were um, canceled, but yet, you know, I still had my yoga studio stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah, it's like, a, it's like a whole thing. But I did want to touch on that because I think um, it's really interesting time because all of us in the world are experiencing very different things in terms of what gigs and opportunities are available. And I just think that's such a great reminder because, um, yeah, we really do need to honor ourselves and kind of ease ourselves back into playing yeah and it's a it's a different space really you know and I think there's still over here there's a lot of the social distancing and and all of that is still obviously in place and um it makes uh, you know the first performance I think my daughter was in which was only about 10 days ago um so she hadn't performed for anybody since the previous August so it was quite a long stretch really and they were really all very nervous and then of course looking out into the crowd everybody was wearing masks they weren't because they were far enough away everybody was sitting socially distanced and so um you know it, it, it's just a different feel for being in the room and I think it's so important to just be kind to yourselves and and give yourself as much as you can to to make that a good experience if you're in that situation and um yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and be gentle with it 
That's such great advice, Nicole. And I'm just, I, I love everything that you shared today. And I'm just so excited to now take some of these tools <laughs> into my own life. Just these tiny little moments of awareness and tools to just kind of feel more open in our bodies as we move throughout our day. Um, I don't know if you have any other like last minute <laughs> advice or things that come to mind that we'll end with. Um, I don't know. Uh questions here I'll just scroll up real quick I think really just you know even just working on your breath is such a big big benefit to the body um just as a human not not even as a musician but um you know I think it can only intensify and amplify the music that you're making and um it will just help preserve your health and the tension in your muscles and so um you know I'm very happy to help out where I can with anything um, I've got a YouTube channel, which um, did have some work that I was doing with musicians on it. It's become a little bit more generic because I went through a 100 day challenge where I was posting something every single day. So uh, it's probably quite far down the list now with all the music stuff that I was doing. But um, I'm quite keen to get started and put some other things on there. So if you'd love some help with something, just send me a message. Let me know what you'd like to see or what you'd like help with. And I will put a video on YouTube for you. Awesome. That's so amazing. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm going to have to go subscribe to your YouTube channel now if I'm not on. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be. But anyway, yeah, I will um, make sure that I've got that. I think it's on my if you're on my Instagram, it should be I have a link tree, which will have a link to the uh, YouTube. So you can always go through there. And that always links through to my website and all of my other social channels. So um you know, stay in touch. Let me know what you're looking for, what you need help with, and I will happily put something on for you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit subscribe, give us a rating, and follow on Instagram at The Aligned Musician. Thank you so much and take care.